Hello and welcome to episode three of the Funds Download. I'm Phil Graham, a Global Head of Investment Funds and Regulatory Team at Harneys and joined by Matt Tabor, Phil Kite and Nick Hoffman. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Hi there. We want to get into some of the horror stories that, that you guys have witnessed over the years, obviously primarily looking back to 0809 but really getting into some of the juicy details of when things go bad as a fund manager and boy, do they go bad, you know, how, what you've seen, what we can learn from that and how obviously our, our client base can hopefully uh, avoid those in, in the future. Starting with you, Matt, I mean, obviously I think it's one of those, where were you when type questions, but <laughs> when Lehman and the news of Lehman came in, you know, where were you, what were you doing and what was your, your immediate reaction to that? So I was in Cayman. Uh, I was at my desk. When the, when the news came in, I think for, for us, actually, it was a bit of a surprise because certainly if you go back, uh, which is now 12 years, the amount of data and information and news that you would receive, particularly offshore, was, was not nearly what we get now. I, I do tell people, don't forget that that was uh, only a year or two after the iPhone was first uh, released. So we were all still using Blackberries. And what was interesting about that was that I'd been told by somebody uh, I knew in London who was an analyst that Lehman was was not good. And that was about a month prior to that. And then when I started to look back at the work I'd been doing for the previous year, there would have been a lot of funds that had been changing their brokers and the prime broker away from Lehman which was quite interesting. And within a period of about, so where were we? We also, well, there was also the Bear Stearns funds, which went down and the firm I was at was also advising them. So it was very quick, probably by the end of October, where we started to have clients who wanted or needed to suspend redemptions or suspend something. They didn't even know what they were suspending but they just needed to do something. And it was at that point that we frankly dusted off the docks and dusted off the sections of the docks that nobody had ever anticipated using and to work out what powers were available to the funds to try and protect them from the inevitable run on the bank, which was happening to them and also lots of other you know, banks all over the world. I can remember the, the, the sort of the utterly surreal conversations you'd have sort of pre that, that moment where people would go intensely into debating compulsory redemption provisions because they didn't want to be kicked out of a fund that was going to make them a huge amount of money, but just didn't yeah. care about suspension provisions because that was never going to happen. No, and I don't, I don't think anyone even knew what they meant. No. And as you say, we, we, we sort of all dusted them off. And, you know, I can remember that the, the managers coming to us and saying, we've got a problem here and we have no idea what to do about it. And, you know, you, you'd yeah. slightly, for those funds that we, we hadn't sort of drafted ourselves, you'd slightly cross your fingers. You'd sort of open up the document and go, right, here we go. Let's, let's have a look at what's in here and what we've got. Yeah, and I think even the ones that we had drafted ourselves, the focus had always been on the ability to suspend NAV yep. because that was what people were worried about. We would end up in a situation where we weren't able to calculate the NAV of the fund. Yep. And the reality was that what the financial crisis demonstrated to us was that nobody had stress tested these documents to think, actually, if something bad happens, what suspension powers are we going to need and how should they look? And you know that was when I think everybody realized that what you really needed to suspend was the voluntary redemption right that investors had. And in I think in most documents, to be fair to, to all of us, to everyone else in the industry back then, the suspension provisions were intertwined. So you weren't able to just necessarily or easily suspend 
redemptions without also suspending NAV. And then there were knock-on effects of what did that mean? If I have to suspend calculation of NAVs, what does that mean for my management fee? What does that mean for my reporting obligations? I can calculate NAVs and so on. Yeah, it led to all sorts of supplemental problems and queries. It did. And I think the biggest one that came out was you can't take in new subscriptions because if you can't calculate NAV and and telling a manager that they can't take in new investors is, um, you know, is close to impossible. No, remember those times very, very, very vividly. And obviously we played through that in sort of September, October, and then, and then came to sort of 2008's other present, which was uh, Mr. Madoff. And and (laughs) Phil, from your perspective, that's sort of truly when your team jumped into action. I mean, what sort of your recollections of those initial times and then how did that play out for sort of the global uh, litigation team at Harneys? Well like, like Matt I was offshore but I was, uh, I was in the BVI and I, I remember watching Lehman unfold on CNN uh, you know because there'd been a number of bailouts and problems with big banks and generally speaking another bank had bought the bank out that was in trouble or the Fed had stepped in something had happened and then uh, my recollection is Lehman over the weekend looked like it was going to go the same way and someone would come in. And then on the Sunday, it was announced, no, it's going into liquidation. And I think that was just a, a stunning move, uh, which on the Monday, I mean, the phone was going off the hook and looking at your documentation through the um, eye of a litigation problem, which maybe people hadn't done when they, when they drafted the documentation. So there, there was a sort of flurry of, of litigation that came out of Lehman. But when we were looking at these provisions uh, as litigators and saying, well, yes, you know, X, Y, and Z say that you can suspend. And generally speaking, as long as the fund had acted in accordance with the documentation, the BVI court said, okay, yeah, you can suspend. It's a contractual provision that everybody signed up to. And that wasn't a ground, for example, in itself to wind up a company under just an equitable ground. So generally acting for the funds, we, we actually felt that we had upheld uh, the funds industry's right to suspend. Now, leaving aside whether that was good for the industry or bad for the industry, from a contractual point of view, that's what happened. And then Mr. Madoff, I mean, Mr. Madoff kept, kept me busy for 10 years and counting, really, on certain clawbacks from some of the companies in, in the US. Most of the proceedings in BVI have gone. But I remember watching him on CNN, and I, I didn't know who he was particularly, hadn't heard much about him, and saw him sort of being arrested and accosted outside his office. And then the next day again, the phone sort of started going and with lots and lots of BVI and came and feeder funds that had invested in him. And, uh, you know, I think this is, you know, the worst case scenario for people in the funds industry. They have invested in a Ponzi scheme. You, you would imagine Ponzi schemes are still out there because they make people so much money. That's why they've always been so good for a good fraudster. And I suppose this is venturing into the worst case scenario for anybody here. I'm just trying to, you know, draw out what happened after... Bernie got arrested, you know, funds were in shock and directors were in shock. They they were desperately trying to lock down what assets they had in bank accounts. They were desperately trying to find out what what had happened and what had gone wrong. And I, I think the sort of lessons that we learned pretty quickly there is that you better document what you're doing when something really bad happens to you, because you are likely to end up in court in two years' time. And, and something we touched upon in the, in the last podcast 
and you better have some documents sort of setting out what you did and why you did it. And, um, you know, speaking to some of the directors of the feeder funds afterwards, uh, and they've been completely taken in by a, a master fraudster. So I really hope that doesn't happen to any of our clients. But Ponzi schemes are good business for fraudsters. So it is always possible something could happen again. And uh, some of the directors couldn't get insurance. So funds went into liquidation. And, um, you know, there was litigation going on for years and years. None of this is good news at all. But just drawing out a few lessons that you might take from the position, you know, in the world now, which is obviously a very unfavorable position in many ways. Drill down on agents, number one. Uh, make sure you know what everybody's doing. And make sure you document everything that they're doing. And make sure you've got full transparency and knowledge at a board level and act in a very timely way. And, you know, I keep going on about this uh, because I'm, I'm the one that will take people to trial and explain what happens at trial, document everything. And I, I suppose some good came out of the Bernie Madoff fiasco. Um, we had a line of cases going right up to the Privy Council, which said that the, the court will look at the contractual documents and there will be rights in, in those contractual documents and they will uphold those rights. Uh, and tracking to hopefully the better drafting of documents since the financial crisis, which I think there is, funds can be hopefully sure that if they follow the rules set out in the contractual documents, then uh, the court will look favourably upon them. And I I think that is the one big lesson coming out from Bernie Madoff is, you know, hopefully your documentation's right. And now's the time to, if you do need to do anything, look at that documentation and try and act strictly within that, those documentary bounds. But yeah, it was, it was um, bad times, but fun times for litigators in, in many ways. Indeed, I can hear the vultures uh, circling, but it was, you know, it's really rewarding for all of us, frankly, to sort of on, on the transaction side to hear the provisions of the documentation held up, you know, as you guys battle between you to, uh, to sort of try and tear them down. And, and we, we hear so often from clients that, that frankly, you know, investors just don't read them, you know, that, that they don't care. So to some degree, why, why do we need to bother? Well, you know, we are bothering for exactly these moments. We, we are trying to put these defenses and protections and mitigate damage as far as possible um, in, in worst case scenarios that frankly, we'd all like to avoid, but are a reality of this industry, sadly. Yeah, I think yeah, one thing I'd add to, add to that would be that it's so easy when when people are trying to get deals done for you know, that that sort of foot to come off the accelerator or to not look at things properly, and particularly when it comes to side letters. And you know, we we absolutely see situations where the governance around side letters is is not as it probably should be. And we are trying to persuade people to to make sure that when they're doing things, the governance is key. And and um, you know, unfortunately, when it comes to different managers and directors and so on, those that have had bad experiences will probably listen to you more than than others. And um, so it's, it's really good to have a clear explanation from both sides of the fence, if you like, as to why getting the documents right and paying attention to who the parties are and making sure that you've, you've appropriately documented your decision making process is something that you should be doing at all stages of the fund. And just to jump in there, Phil, I think that chimes really nicely with some of the fundamental things that, of course, directors are thinking about, but perhaps don't come into quite such sharp relief in the ordinary course. Because when funds are under pressure, you know, the problems are coming from a number of different sources and not being alive to the various provisions within your own documents is a huge problem. It's a problem 
because you don't understand the process and you're likely to make faulty decisions about what you can and can't do. And, and as I said, that comes into sharp focus when funds are in distress. And then as Phil has already said, that distress turns into litigation down the line. And so it's so important, I think, you can't be reiterated enough. And we certainly saw it following uh, the financial crisis, that these kinds of decisions, the ones that you make when the fund is under distress, can be very, very important, obviously, and can engage the duties that you have and you you must understand how potentially the duties you you hold have moved from one set of stakeholders to another and in that connection really we had a number of cases here in Cayman um, probably best culminated in the weavering decision which probably most involved in the funds industry will be very aware of because it did deal with the the tests relating and and surrounding the duties that fund directors have. It's important to understand that this is a concatenation of events. It's unlikely to manifest itself just with one nice isolated event which you can just deal with. The problems are coming from investors, coming from the board, it's coming from a lack of experience, and all of those things begin to build up and can lead to faulty decisions. So I think it's important that we pause at this stage and say that that's every much or every bit as alive as it was in 2008 now. And in terms of sort of what are sort of the fundamental no-nos that managers and or, you know, directors or on boards of funds should be absolutely avoiding? I, um, I think Madoff is a good example where, you know, some of the actors tended to be acting for the funds side on most of those matters and speaking to some of the directors but they they were completely taken in by um, the publicity they weren't uh, checking they weren't managing and they were basically not doing very much and taking a fee and and it looks terrible to a court years down the line i mean i, I know it's extreme position but you know directors take a fee the the days when maybe an offshore director took four hundred dollars a year are over um, you if you're a director of any company onshore or offshore you've got to be a proper director and that means you need to be in the business of the company uh, and again from a litigator's point of view if i'm defending you i'm hopefully getting some some board minutes where you're you're shown to be um uh, fully justifying your director's fee. So you just have to get involved in the decisions. Yes, and, and I'd add to what Phil said. I, I think as a general rule, that's absolutely right. But you know, perhaps more specifically, foot faults like prioritising one investor over another, not understanding the proper solvency position of the fund in relation to redemptions that have been made, potentially redeeming when you shouldn't have done. These are all things that can really lead to huge problems, to court clawback claims, to preferred creditor claims, and just inequitable winding up, you know, the mismanagement of a fund, which leads to its demise. They are very serious risks, and directors need to know that the decisions that they're making and the foot faults that they can make can lead to serious consequences. 
I mean, it, it, at the expense of hammering that home, obviously that's a plug for what we do and it's, it's prevention is better than cure. And in this case, cure often isn't available. And so speaking to, if you get to any point where there's anything that looks a little bit uncertain, having a quick 10, 15 minute discussion with you, the fund council who knows the documents and who knows how it's all set up can save you unbelievable amounts of headaches further down the line and uh, it's trite to say because I think that applies in all areas of life but um, it's probably worth mentioning. I think it is worth mentioning as well Matt that as you say a five minute call is is absolutely essential perhaps to the person who has the closest relationship with you but knowing as as Matt's already said you know, the dialogue between the transactional lawyers and litigation lawyers has never been so harmonious, particularly at Harney's. I think we really do pride ourselves on that. So you know when you're speaking to Matt or to me, you've got a wealth of knowledge from the other side of the tracks that is being brought to bear in that analysis. And that's something that I think is really crucial when you're facing a crisis. Thank you. I mean, that, I think that's I think that's an excellent excellent point to end on. And you know, I, I remember very well. Sort of Phil and I were ended up on the sort of the, the same floor at Harney's back in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. You know, our, our distressed funds team came together with sort of half funds lawyers and half litigators neither of which understood what the other person did but we sort of we merged together we talked to each other we raised our collective ignorance to a to a perfectly acceptable level and and you know that's continued ever since and and whilst like like you Phil you know I hope we don't see anything like Madoff again in these times when when there's just so little investment opportunities and so much confusion someone with that sort of reputation coming along and saying they're going to make you a nice return and, and, a, and a guaranteed return sort of looks comforting at the moment. And so, um, you know, I don't think any of us can say never say never, but all of the really good advice you, you've given in terms of what to look out for, I think is incredibly valuable. Uh, and thank you both very much indeed for joining us on this cast. Thanks, guys. Thanks, thank you. Ho hopefully Matt has been allowed out of his attic. I'm still Perhaps here. <laughs>